Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Sabah al-khair. Good morning, dear listeners. You're listening to Radio 3CR on 855am and Palestine Remembered with Yusuf Ahmed al-Rimawi, Nasser Mashni and Robert Martin. Today's episode will be purely dedicated to the Nakba and the last update of the Palestinian hunger striking prisoners in Israeli jails. For this and more, stay with us and enjoy the episode. Good morning, Nasser. Morning, Yusuf. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. We are uh, today uh, without uh, Robert. Robert will join us next week. So um, I want to start by uh, saying a big thank you to those who made our event in support of the prisoners possible last Sunday by turning up, by sending their support online or by calling us. We had a successful event on Sunday. Um, The turn up was great. Uh, We had uh, Australian politicians, um, Senator uh, Janet Rice from the Greens, Senator uh, Gavin Marshall from uh, ALP and a member of parliament, Bronwyn Halfpenny, spoke about uh, their solidarity and support of the Palestinian prisoners. And uh, Janet uh, and Gavin had just arrived from Palestine, so they gave their from from a pen yeah. from a pen uh, trip uh, to Palestine. Yep. They gave their first-hand stories and their reflections on uh, occupation and what it means to live in occupation. Uh, so thank you uh, to everybody who uh, organized it and who participated. And uh, today uh, marks the twentieth day yeah. of hunger strike where our heroes behind Israeli bars are still waging this non-violence, uh, non-violent uh, means of resistance to protest against the inhumane treatment, the uh, deprivation of uh, education, deprivation of family visits, and deprivation of even meeting their lawyers. But more importantly, medical negligence. I just want to mention one story by Marah Bakir, the 16-year-old Palestinian girl who was taken to prison with broken arm. And 18 months later, she is still denied uh, treatment. Wow. And that is just one example of one example. systematic, deliberate medical negligence to inflict more pain and and more uh, suffering. But you know what? Like Marwan Barghouti says, our chains will be broken before we are. Absolutely. The steadfastness of the Palestinian people is something that, you know, people... Unbre- are, uh, unbreakable. Uh, unbreakable. But also the steadfastness is, is something that's admired by so many people around the world. And it's, it's why um, Palestine will be free. Palestine will be free. Uh, Nakba is uh, absolutely. This is our big, up, uh, a big topic uh, for for this week and for next week because it's such a um, a turning point in Palestinian history. And it's important, you know, Yusuf, you were just talking about systematic the deprivation of Palestinian rights when they're in Israeli jails and 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 the the levels of control that Israel exerts over the Palestinians' access to medical education, phone visits, etc. But when we talk about systematic, we have to realize the 
the systemization of the ethnic cleanse that is Palestine. Yeah? Mm. And we need to go back. We talk about Nakba, in fact, uh, in 1948. And this is uh, couched because uh, on May 15, uh, uh, is, uh, Israel was um, uh, announced declared, as a, declared mm. as a state. But in fact... The making uh, of that. Yeah. But the, in fact... Uh, the the roots of Nakba mm. are in fact in the late nineteenth century and and they go back to the first Zionist Congress. So this Congress later became the World Zionist Organization. It was held in Basel in Switzerland, August twenty nine to August thirty one, eighteen ninety seven, and it was convened by the chairperson Theodor Herzl, who's the founder of modern Zionism. And at the end of the conference, uh, the com- the Congress formulated the Zionist platform as we know it today, and it's known as the Basel Program. And it says explicitly, Zionism aims at establishing for the Jewish people a publicly and legally assured home in Palestine. For the attainment of this purpose, the Congress considers the following means serviceable. Number one, the promotion of the settlement of Jewish agriculturists, artisans and tradesmen in Palestine, the federation of all Jews into local or general groups according to the laws of various countries, the strengthening of the Jewish feeling and consciousness, and preparatory steps for the attainment of those governmental grants which are necessary to the achievement of the Zionist purpose. So this is 1897. In Theodor Herzl's own diary, only a few days later he writes, If I were to sum up the Basel Conference in one word, it would be this. At Basel, I founded the Jewish state. If I were to say this out loud today, I'd be met with universal laughter. In five years, perhaps, and perhaps, and certainly in 50 years, everyone will see it. And that's what really pretty much had happened, which means that the Palestinian Nakba didn't just happen. Uh, it, it was it, There was a plot, there was a conspiracy, there were planning. Yeah. And we have to also acknowledge that the uh, conference was in response to the anti-Semitic atmosphere Europe. in Europe, yeah, yeah. especially in Russia. Yeah. And at that time, 95% mm. of the population of Palestine was Arab. Was Arab, and they owned ninety nine percent of the land. And the five percent Jews who lived in Palestine lived in freedom and peace with their Muslim and Christian Palestinians. Absolutely, and they were as Palestinians as us. You're correct. And now, following that conference, you know, interestingly, uh, the, you know, the the work started the preparatory work, and some um, some rabbis were sent from from Austria, and they famously came back to to uh, the the Zionist Congress and said, "The bride is beautiful." But she is married to another man, meaning you know the She's land taken. is gorgeous, but there's people there. Unlike the myth they started, which yeah. is um, the Jews are people without land, and Palestine is land without uh, people. people. That's right, and you know, but only as European colonialists can do, because you know what, what what the suggestion of the bride being beautiful and married is that you know the land is taken. We should find something else. But you know, when you're a European colonialist, instead of looking for something else to marry, you just go rape. The, and the, you the, kill the, the husband, the, the bride, bride that's there, and you know we move on from that, and and uh, that story was once recounted to Golda Meir, who you know became prime minister of uh, Israel, and she's reported as saying, and I thank God every night that the bridegroom was so weak that the bride could be taken away, and we've talked earlier about um, how all the other Arab nations were given independence, you know, inverted commas, except for Palestine, and and the the conspiracy between Balfour, etc., to 
to steal Palestine from the Palestinians. Can I just here stop Nasser and try maybe in one minute try to explain what was how the Arab world looked like uh, towards the end of the Ottoman rule most of the Arab territories was under Turkish administration uh, maybe the weak Turkish administration because short after the, uh, the Zionist conference World War One took place so uh, the Arab regimes were either under Turkish mandate or uh, under European mandate like for example Algeria or independent uh, like Morocco, or semi-independent like Egypt, Mm -hmm. where you had the Muhammad Ali dynasty ruling in some form of arrangement with Turkey. But in general, the Arab world from Oman to Morocco, this 14 million square kilometers, were not as independent as you might think. They were they were under foreign uh, rule occupation, yeah. And and Palestine was uh, under Turkish mandate. Like the other neighbors. Well, I mean, like, you know, we've talked about it before, Yusuf. If you go to World War I memorials and, you know, Anzac Day just uh, just went past, you'll see Palestine noted. Gallipoli, Palestine, because, you know, the Arabs of Palestine fought with the Allies for, the, for their liberation, you know. And, and that is uh, in contradiction to the allegations made by Netanyahu on his visit to, yeah, to yeah, us yeah. here that uh, Australia and, uh, and, and, and Australia fought for the Beersheba yeah. uh, battle and there was actually Arabs fighting. It was uh, Arabs. There was no Jews. There, there was no Jews there. There might, may have been a Jew in the Australian and army. And that's one thing we'll come back later to. But uh, my friend is writing about that uh, in Sydney and we will definitely cover we'll it. We'll come back to it, absolutely. So coming back to... Um, uh, to, to Golda Meir and, and the question of Palestine, um, the, the land had already been promised by Lord Balfour to Lord Rothschild and the Zionists in the Balfour Declaration. But of course, you can't just give land over, you know, post all the one, post the promise. So the process has to be undertaken, you know, how do we gently see this process through? And we saw the increase of Jewish migration enabled by, by the British mandate. Mm. And then, you know, what, what then happened to the British surprisingly because they you know strange bedfellows but terrorism was introduced to palestine and terrorism was introduced to palestine not by the indigenous palestinians and the arabs it was introduced not by, by radical uh, islam not, not by radical islam terrorism bombs in markets bombs in uh, hotels hotels and and you know uh, car bombs and things like that these terrorist operations were introduced by terrorist is Ju- uh, jewish, jewish gangs jewish gangs that's right the Haganah, stern ergon and and they were all led by future prime ministers of Israel, you know, like with, Menachem Begin, Menachem Begin, who was on the wanted uh, yeah, list. Of, absolutely, of we've Britain. posted his picture on our podcast, uh, listeners. If you want to go back and see that, mm. so uh, terrorism was introduced to Palestine by these uh, Jewish people, and not radical Jews. These were, you know, the leaders of Israel tomorrow. This is what Judaism was, Zionism was to the Palestinians that were in Palestine. Can now, I can I hear? Uh, um, highlight the issue of that the founders of of Zionism were not uh, none of them claimed biblical titles no. none of them were like the religious atheists. pretty much uh, yeah. non-believers of God non-believers but they believe God gave them the land yeah? somehow <laughs> <laughs> um, so so these uh, Jewish terrorist gangs and uh, many of them were trained by the British you know, some of them uh, no question fought in World War Two w- w- with with the Allies. But by 1939, this Jewish, they called it the Auxiliary Force, numbered 20,000 trained uh, men, men and women. And, and they renamed themselves the Jewish Settlement Force. And, and it gives itself, you know, some sort of innocent sounding name where we're here to settle. When in fact, uh, you know, one of the things that we, uh, we were talking about the terrorist activities, as you know, Yusuf, the, the Jewish terrorists 
targeted British officers. And they, they, they would booby trap uh, British dead so as to maim the British that came to get them. They hung them by a piano wire. To the point in the last years of the British mandate, the Jewish terrorists killed for British officers was four to one. Four British officers for every Jewish terrorist killed. So they really went about uh, uh, teaching the, the well, creating the situation that enabled the uh, need for British the British to remove themselves from the, the mandate of Palestine and to hand it over to the United Nations. Mm. Well, Nasser, um, I think the making of the State of Israel, the 50 years, uh, we will be doing injustice if we try to cover all these 50 years in one show. But uh, the timeline of it will be from the Zionist uh, Council and then trying with Turkey, trying to maybe bribe Turkey into uh, allowing the Jewish migration, Mm -hmm. which didn't work, and then World War I and then Balfour Declaration. And two months after the declaration of the declaration, Mm -hmm started the British mandate and the British mandate facilitated the migration and allowed the flow yeah. of cash and people yeah. to build the state. Hundreds of thousands, yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. And to the protestations of the Palestinians, and we talk about, you know, Golda Meir being so happy that the bridegroom was weak. You know, we talk about, you can go back to, you know, the Arab riots, you know, and, mm. and what the British did to take out all of the elite Palestinians, you know, the, 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 the policy of housing demolitions, the hangings, the expulsions, you know, this is all, all part of the, of the conspiracy to, to steal Palestine. Well, it Arabs. was a complicity between Britain and the Zionist uh, uh, Council, uh, or the, the, Zion, the Zionist organization. Uh, of course, uh, we don't want to uh, exempt the Arabs, uh, not all of them, but some of the Arabs also uh, were complicits when it came to um, the establishment of Israel. And, of and just only last night, I posted a declassified, uh, it was classified until recently, a document of mentioning the names of Arabs who corresponded with the Zionists from the from the year 1907 uh, until late 30s. Right. And you have names of yeah, yeah. people who are known of being leaders of the social justice in their own countries. We're not going to go there yeah. now, but uh, the complicity was huge. The yeah. conspiracy was well-planned. The, Ill, the, 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 the plotting mm-hmm. was well-mastered, uh, uh, and therefore... It was nearly impossible for um, any nation who would assume that these people are fleeing anti-Semitism and came here for protection to know their real plans. Yeah, and and one one of the the founding myths of you know the state of Israel is that this plucky Jewish nation had to protect itself from the invading Arab armies. <coughs> and Yusuf, you spoke to to the to the conspiracy of you know leading Arab intellectuals and leaders. Uh, uh, leaving the Palestinians to fend for themselves, you know. In 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 fact, we know from the declassified Israeli documentation, you know, and the the leader uh, revisionist historian Ilan Pape, you know, in his book The Ethnic Cleansing of Palestine, um, he talks about Plan Delet, you know, and Plan Delet is uh, the letter D in the the Jewish uh, dic- uh, alphabet is the fourth one, but Plan Delet follows Plan A, B, and C. The Plan Dalit, which was enacted in November of 47, which precipitated the ethnic cleansing, the movement forcibly of the indigenous population, 800,000 people from Palestine, the movement of uh, the forced expulsion of those people was planned 
by uh, David ben, uh, Ben-Gurion and his uh, cabal, he called them the consultancy, and his own diaries, you know, talk about their plots of identifying villages and whether they needed to be approached from the north, south, east or west, who the village elders were, who they needed to take out, who they'd already bought um, and and uh, who was a co-conspirator and what actions the um, uh, Irgun, Sterngang and Haganah had to undertake to move that village onwards. You know, when we t- spoke about the Irisin, but... Plan Delet, you know, was after Plan Aleph, which was in 1945. Plan B is 47, and C is in the start of, uh, in the middle of 47. By, by 1948, with 600,000 new Jews into Palestine and the ethnic cleansing well underway, with the British completely apathetic about um, continuing ruling the Palestinians and wanting to get out, we have a situation where a very militarized population, and you get to the point with this, um, you know, most countries, maybe 1% of the population is in the army. Hmm. In 1948, something like one in four Jews of Palestine, because Carry, carried weapons, were in the army, not just carried weapons. Hmm. They were trained and ready. They were a military force. And here it destroys the myth that, you know, seven Arab armies trying to yeah. uh, throw the Jews into, into the, the sea. sea. They, they uh, were already uh, throwing us out. And 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 the Arabs were outnumbered. Yeah, outnumbered. The seven Arab, outgunned. the uh, the seven Arab uh, armies were outnumbered by the Jewish uh, militias. Yep. So so, in, so mm. we know that um, uh, Israel declared independence in April before uh, uh, the fifteenth of May, and since that time, Israel has yet to have a border. In that time, we've had massacre after massacre, expulsion after expulsion, law after law that define who can live where, what they can live. We've had the uh, absentee um, laws that meant that if you're a Palestinian ethnically cleansed from Palestine because you weren't there, you have left the land behind. As if they were not driven out by them and as if they uh, chose not to return. Correct. So. Um, Nasser, I want to take a break, but maybe we can uh, definitely go back to this, uh, uh, to the Nakba and the making of Nakba uh, after the break. But uh, uh, I want to also uh, maybe uh, quickly stop at the irony that even the Germans uh, referred to the Holocaust as the last resort. Which is the, the plan delit, the, the, the final like, solution, like like their uh, the the final solution, like the Zionists also referred to the ethnic plen- uh, cleansing and massacring of Palestinians, which is an irony uh, that reminds itself, yeah. us of the uh, Edward Said that we the Palestinians are the victims. You're listening to Palestine Remembered on 855 AM, a song for the Palestinian refugees. Uh, Nasser, before the break, uh, you were about to say something? Yeah, I thought, I thought just, just to clean the, just to put the numbers into perspective. So by the end of 1948, 800,000 Palestinians were expelled from their home. 530 of their villages were destroyed. 11 of their urban neighborhoods were emptied. Massacres such as Deir Yassin spread fear and terror in the hearts of Palestinian families and forced them to take flight. And we go through to the end, and the first president of Israel, uh, Chaim Wiseman, said, 
and he commented about the fact that you know they're able to establish you know their Jewish state that a miraculous clearing of the land the miraculous simplification of Israel's task as if it just happened it just happened yeah by, by being nice order. to us unbelievable and Yusuf you know the reality <coughs> of the Nakba is you know every Palestinian has their Nakba story and I wonder if you would do us the honor of sharing yours and your families then I will do my best, Nasser. Maybe over the 13 years of doing the show, I was tempted every year to speak about that. Mm-hmm. But you would know that it's a heavy topic on our hearts. Of course. And uh, it, drag- it, it returns the memories of those who are with us and those who are not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I want to uh, uh, mention the Sheikh Yusuf, the person I was named after, my grandfather, the father of my father who was uh, 35 when Nakba happened. He was uh, just a teacher in uh, a village near, uh, in a town near Yafa called Majd al-Sadiq. And uh, he, when in, in, in 48, he was driven out b- to uh, Beit Rima, which is a village in later became West Bank. So back then in 48, uh, we didn't have uh, homes to rent. So you either own property or you're going to be homeless. So he was um, uh, hosted by his relatives in uh, the Ramallah village of Betrima, And they stayed there for three years. And you can imagine being a guest at mm-hmm. somebody's place for three years. It's well, we know what people come over for the weekend, how you feel about them by Monday. Im- imagine imagine, <laughs> imagine, years, imagine yeah. a, a week or two weeks or a month or three months, mm-hmm. and they were really in solidarity because it's, it was the whole population were in solidarity yeah, with yeah. each other. Uh, but uh, three years later, my grandfather decided to join the, the refugees, those who were sent to refugee camps. Back then, in 51, the UNRWA was founded and to give uh, relief and work for the refugees who were blocked from return to their homes and uh, towns by Israel. And uh, so he joined the refugees uh, and he chose to live in a refugee camp and it was near Jericho. That refugee camp uh, is no longer uh, there uh, because Israel bulldozed it after the occupation of Jericho. So they stayed there from 1951 to 1967. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, So just to be clear, Yusuf, mm. we had a... He was a, a refugee from 48. He was a refugee from 48. And a refugee again post-67. But before that, uh, an, another and way internally, di- internally displaced. displaced. So in, in 48, he went to West Bank. In 51, he went to another uh, place in West, West Bank. Bank. They stayed in West Bank. And of course, the beginning of refugee camps was, okay, now we have education, we have a school, we have the United Nations giving us health. We had a bit of a bit of aid. The aid was a little Minimal. bit of milk, a little bit of rice and sugar, and some clothes that mm-hmm. would we enough for a year or two years and you can imagine the uprooting of society and to, to having to start from all over the again yeah. um, but nevertheless the Palestinians made it yeah. and that's why they gave education huge importance and huge mm-hmm. value because without education you're gonna you, you're not gonna be able to start again so during this time from 51 to 67 this is the upbringing of my father Ahmad Rimawi mm-hmm. So he grew up in a refugee camp. He had to work in summer holidays to get a bit of cash for, for, for his new uh, school year. 
like every other every other child in the refugee camp. So in '65, before the fall of the camp, my father um, became an expatriate. I would say a teacher working in Saudi Arabia because back then the oil boom, the Saudis, the Gulf, Kuwait, Kuwait Bahrain, Emirates, Oman, Qatar, they disco- the discovery of oil. They needed human resources, and they found in the Palestinian society a ready to serve, an educated, mm-hmm. qualified population ready to serve. And my father became a teacher in Saudi Arabia. But two years later... um, In his absence? In his absence, uh, Israel occupied West Bank. Mm -hmm. So they had to be uprooted again for the third time, uh, this time to Jordan. So they went to Jarash, the city of Jarash Mm -hmm. in Jordan, and they had a bit of peace a little bit of peace, and and two years later, the Jordanian-Palestinian PLO clashes, so they again had to find another place, because they were in the middle of the clashes, so they went to another city in Jordan, which is the capital, and that's where we are settled. So, in my father's uh, line only, we're talking about four waves of stateless, statelessness up until 1970. What happened after 1970 is something different. We're going to talk about that later, but also I want to quickly talk about my father's, my sorry, my mother's father, because they are from the northern city of Safad. They went on, fo- <coughs> on foot to uh, Lebanon and then ended up in Syria and mom was born a year after Nakba. And she was born in Syria in a time of limbo where there were no refugee camps, no UNRWA. They just had to find places or shelters to stay. Mm -hmm. And the Syrian population, to their credit, were open to us and they gave so much solidarity. And they were never an issue of anti-Palestinian sentiment, especially at the beginning of the Palestinian presence. So when Yarmouk camp, the biggest camp in the Palestinian diaspora, what they call the capital of Palestinian diaspora later, it was built in 1957. And the father of my mother was one of the, was among the 70,000 who, uh, who, who the lands who, you know, they took places uh, or, or land so that they could build on. And they started their livelihoods in Syria in, in 57. That's where my other uncles and my cousins and everybody who, who had the, a bit of stable life in Syria with a little bit of challenges, of course, so much challenges, mm-hmm. economic challenges, social challenges, until the Syrian crisis happened. And the 60 plus relatives that I that we had in Syria, uh, now we're talking about only two of them remained. 50 out of them are dispersed around seven countries. This is the price of uh, Nakba, being a Palestinian, yeah. being Palestinian, and, and, and having and it's the price of the ongoing Nakba. Ongoing it, just, Nakba. it just keeps continuing. And and again, now I'm talking about my 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 family, my connection to Majdal, my connection to Ramallah, Beit Rima, to Safad. Uh, I talk about it with a lot of uh, pain and a lot of uh, um, uh, difficulty, I have to say, and I'm holding my honey tears because, you know, I, I <sighs> well, the pain, the pain, I mean, this is the, the, the challenge we often face in articulating the suffering. I mean, we, we, what Yusuf's going through now, every Palestinian experiences, because we know the pain that our family feels, that the, the the feeling of guilt we have for when we, we, fortune smiles upon us, burying our loved ones in in strange soil. I mean, you know, I, and not I, being I, able to visit them, not being able to visit to visit their graves. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so the Yakba is going ongoing. Uh, the price of statelessness uh, is beyond imagination. Yeah. 
And you're talking about 70 years of statelessness. You're talking about four generations that have to keep, uh, that, that have to pay the price uh, over and over again. And Israel is still enjoying the benefits of living in the best place in the world, which is Palestine, which is uh, our country, and presenting itself as a democratic, free, liberal society that's home to technology and openness, which is really why we will keep the voice heard and we will keep uh, programs like this. The lie is being exposed every day. The lie is being exposed more and more every day. Um, Nasser, I think uh, we're heading towards the end of the program. Uh, Next week, we're going to also talk about the Nakba. We will um, try to uh, speak about uh, what happened after 48. uh, The ongoing Nakba, 48 to today. And I want to thank all the listeners who support this show and uh, the Australians who support the Palestinian struggle for freedom, independence, and justice. So uh, until we meet next uh, week. We should remind our uh, listeners about uh, sending us SMSs. We we love to get those uh, messages of support on 0437-990-415, 0437-990-415. Thank you, Nasser. And until we meet next week, this is Yusuf Ahmed al-Rimawi and Nasser al-Mashni. Have a great time and salam. <laughs>